0: We're going to be preaching this morning from the book of Colossians. I think some of you may have read it recently. Uh, and I'm looking at uh, chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. I'm going to ask you to stand. And uh, as I read aloud, this is the Word of God. And so from the day we heard, for all endurance and patience, with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. And you may be seated. I'm going to ask you to use your sanctified imagination this morning. I want you to imagine something in your mind and uh, just uh, follow along with me here. Uh, Imagine that you're in a group, a meeting somewhere with someone. I don't know, it's your imagination after all. And someone stands up to pray in the group, And says let us pray and they say yada 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 blah 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 so on and so on and etc amen now what do you think and how do you respond you might think how rude how disrespectful it's just inappropriate Christians don't pray like that Or do we I have known people over the years that if you ask them to pray and Caleb's not one of them but if you ask them to pray it's like you're pushing the prayer button and the same prayer pops out and we pray things uh, I guess everybody in this room has one time or another Oh Lord bless him be with him one of my favorites lead guide and direct him keep him watch over him we pray like that don't we well you don't have to say anything out loud but if you pray for me that way god bless you keep praying because i'm not saying it's wrong but i'm saying that i think the apostle paul here in colossians chapter one shows us a better way he helps us in our praying I can tell you right now what you pray about in your life. You can boil it down to about half a dozen things. Um, The the rule of thumb is you pray about what you care about. You pray about what you care about. And here's here's the things I'm guessing that you pray about. You pray for health or difficulties that you encounter in your life. You pray for your family. You pray for your work, or if you're in school, you pray for school. Um, You pray for future decisions. And you pray for knowing God's will for your life. You pray for your finances. And then you pray for your friends, too. Am I close? Is that about right? I think so. I think that's generally the things we pray for. But what Paul is talking about here in this passage of Colossians, is how to pray for the church. And that's what I want to talk to you about for the next several minutes. And I'm sorry, I'm about as low-tech as they come. Okay, the thing made a noise at me. Let's see what happens. Okay, we're, we're, we're cooking with gas now. Paul starts in the passage that we read, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. And this this is a long, this whole thing is part, it's just part of one sentence that I just read. It, Paul has this way of kind of doing run-on sentences. He just going and going and going. But it starts off, he's saying, From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you might be filled with knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding it's a prayer for knowledge and i should mention there is a bulletin insert i hope you got one and if you want to take notes or fill in uh, or you can play tic-tac-toe i'm not going to complain but uh, you have it there if you want to use it Um, i this is what i think about i think about the colossians how would they Respond to that. What would they think of when they hear those words from Paul? I think there's one word in there that would have popped out. I think that word is knowledge. Uh, and, and not in a good way. Let me explain why. Paul wrote this book from prison probably in the 60s. We're talking about three decades after Jesus was crucified, died, uh, was buried, and resurrected. It's about 30 years later. And during that time, this thing was percolating throughout the, the world, known world at that time, uh, that later became known as Gnosticism. But what they talked about in this kind of religious cult was that the key to life and life hereafter was knowledge and it was secret knowledge, and you had to have the right knowledge. And if you knew it, it made you a very special person. Uh, You could be very smug and proud about that knowledge because it would make you a very elite person. That's not the kind of knowledge that Paul is talking about. They're thinking in terms of knowledge, and we may as well. We think about knowledge and we think of information it's data, it's books, and the knowing of books. uh, And we get it wrong when we think that way. I went to, as an undergraduate student, I went to the University of Illinois. And University of Illinois boasts the second largest library of college libraries in the United States, second only to Harvard. And uh, they built a library underground. It was three stories down underground. I won't tell you why, that's another story. But I remember, they called it the undergraduate library, and on the wall of the library, chiseled in stone and huge letters around that perimeter, it said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And with all those books, and with all that knowledge, they did not understand the words they chiseled into the side of the building. Because Jesus said those words, didn't he? And he wasn't talking about books, and he wasn't talking about information, and he wasn't talking about compiling data. It was the truth of himself. We call it the gospel. It was the truth that was residing in Jesus. And... This is what Paul is acknowledging in chapter 1 of Colossians. This is the knowledge that he's information, that excuse me, that he's interested in. Information does not save you. Jesus saves you. He is the one that's important and knowledge of him and spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding, that's what's really important. And so he, Paul is praying for those Colossians Christ, Colossian Christians. He's never been there. He's never probably met them before, but he's praying for them because he, you pray about what you care about, and he cares about them. And he's praying and telling them that they need to know Jesus in an ever-increasing way Jesus in, the, in his high priestly prayer says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's the important knowledge. That's the truth that will set you free. Not being set free of ignorance, but being set free of spiritual bondage. Now consider another verse. This whole passage is so uh, full and and references other portions of Scripture, and is 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 informed by other Scripture that it's hard for me to stay in just this passage. It's interesting for you might want to note that as Paul is in prison, Ephesians, the letter, and Colossians, that letter, have very common themes. And it may be, it's possible, that Paul wrote both of those books in the same day. We don't know. But I want you to consider another verse in Scripture from the the pen of the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1. There he says, knowledge puffs up. You can probably finish the verse from memory. But love builds up. Knowledge puffs up. There is a dichotomy between knowledge and love. Do you see a certain danger that there can be in accumulating knowledge, information, more and more data? Even if it's from God's holy word, knowledge can puff you up, can make you proud. And I'm afraid that many of us, and I'll speak for myself here, I have been educated... On spiritual things far beyond my obedience level I know way more than I do anything about is what I'm saying and I don't brag about that that's a confession and the reason I know that it is far more easier for me to do one more Bible study than it is to go talk to my neighbor about Jesus. Can anybody relate to that? It's tough. But these kinds of things are not an either-or, it's both-and. I need to know more, but I need to do more. Jesus said, in, in uh, speaking with his uh, disciples in the Upper Room Discourse, John 14, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You are to be obedient if you know Jesus, and I am to be obedient as I serve Jesus. And I wonder, how does that play out? You see, are you sharing your faith? Are you taking your Christianity, are you exporting it to others? Are you showing the love of Christ to other people, or are you just kinda huddled together in a Christian ghetto and you never get out of that? If you're sharing your faith with other people, let me put it in the negative, if you're not sharing your faith with other people, you don't know Jesus as well as you could. Because I believe in sharing your faith, in obeying his commands, you learn to know him better and better as you go through life. Paul is telling us that Christianity is not just an ethical system. It's not a state of mind or way of life. It is truth. It is truth. But it's truth found in a person. That person is Jesus. Here's a similar scripture from Ephesians, a companion letter of Paul's. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that, so that you may know him better and better. That's why Paul is praying for them to have the knowledge of Christ and to be growing in spiritual wisdom and understanding so they'll know Jesus better. And it's knowing Jesus, not knowing about Jesus. Two different things. how How do you do this? How do you get a start on this? Well, you do start with the Word. I love the Bible. I love, and the reason I'm here is that Providence Bible Church is a Bible church. We get the truth of the Word here. And so what we do is we soak in that word. Do you remember Psalm chapter 1? The very first Psalm. It's like, blessed is the man uh, whose delight is the law of the Lord. I'll tell you what he's like. He's like a tree planted by water. And the roots go down and they get nourishment from the water. The water gives gives them life. Like a tree has life and growth and fruit all good things and that's the way we are in our christian life as we soak down into the word of god we receive life and health and growth and fruit and all kinds of benefit so that would that would cause joshua to say in the first chapter of that book in the old testament do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. This book, this Bible, which we've read together, it is food for your soul. So there are basically two parts to my message today. Uh, Paul is saying he wants people, Christians, to have knowledge of jesus through his word and he wants us to have right living that brings us to point number two um, a prayer for conduct he wants us to live a life that's worthy look at verse 10 if you have your bible open let's see let's experiment and see if it's on the screen here no that's okay Um, walk in a manner worthy of the lord fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God Paul wants us to live or excuse me let me stick with that same word walk he wants us to walk in a worthy way he wants you to live being worthy now that's difficult isn't it is it is it for you because I'm not worthy of anything. I'm not worthy of salvation. I I love the old uh, Rock of Ages hymn by Top Lady. The lyrics go, nothing in my hand I bring, only to the cross I cling. That's all we've got. We've got nothing. We've done no good work. We have no reason to expect God to be merciful upon us or to save us. There's no hope at all. And if we try to earn righteousness, it's utter foolishness. Only Christ can grant that. But if we are believers, if we've repented of our sin and turned in faith, believing Jesus, we're not who we once were. We're different people. We're different creatures. We've become a part of another family, God's family the family of God, and as members of the family of God, we have a reputation to withhold or to maintain. I can remember very clearly, even though I was a a little fella, little ornery fella, as I recall, we were going over to the Matthews home. That was grade school level, and we drove over there, my mom, my dad, my sister and myself that was the Pinwell family and we were walking up to the door onto the front porch and my dad stopped us all he knelt down on one knee he got right in my face and he did one of these you parents you've done this he grabbed me like this because he wanted me to look him in the eye and he said Lanny Lanny I want you to be on your best behavior You know what he meant, and I knew what he meant, even though I was a little guy. And I knew I better be careful, or I would pay a price later. Well, that was my dad. But uh, I had a reputation to maintain. It was a Pinwell reputation. I couldn't be just a totally scatterbrained, crazy kid. We're at the Matthews home, and people will see me, so live in a right way. And we as Christians need to live in a worthy manner. We need to walk in the right way. Let me use my dad's words. We need to be on our best behavior, right? And so when I look at this passage and I think about the fruit that's talked about here, my mind turns right away to another letter of Paul's, Galatians, and I think of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those need to be fruit that are growing in my life and are being shown uh, to other people around me. Last week at our community life group, we were talking about assurance of salvation And that's one of the ways that you know that you're saved. You grow in the fruit of the Spirit. You grow in love. You become a more peaceful and peace-loving person. And these things grow in our lives. But that's not the only kind of fruit that you bear. These are kind of inward things that come up from inside, but there's acts of activity that we do as well. There's so many, I can't mention them all, Uh, There's probably no end to the list, but I'll I'll name a few. It might, might be watching the neighbor's kids when they have a need, or giving a ride to someone, or serving a meal, or cleaning up afterwards. There's all kinds of good works that we do and we should do. And this is how we live a life that's worthy of the calling to which we've been called. I'm not a physiologist, but I want to give you an anatomy lesson. Um, I, I've, I've shared this before with the congregation. Uh, it's three parts of the anatomy. They all start with the letter H, head, heart, hands. This is how we live in a worthy manner. We, first, we get it with our heads. We hear the word, we read the word, we study the word, we, we love the word. It, it gets into our head and we know it, but just knowing it isn't going to be enough. It's got to go further than that. So we need another part of our anatomy. It goes from our head down to our heart. So it's not just information. It's not just words about Jesus or words that Jesus said. It, it's words of truth and Love and life. And we love these things. It is truth. It's what we need. It gives us life. So we get it in our head. It goes down to our heart and then it goes out through our hands. We just don't know it and love it. We do it. Make sense? Head, heart, hands. Know it, love it, live it. Let me move along. Boy, I got this type too small, but a growing walk is the next uh, manner uh, of conduct, or you could just say doing. It's like knowing, point one, doing, point two. And this is how we do it. We live a a life that's worthy. And then, number two, we have a walk that's growing. Uh, It is a expanding walk again verse 10 so as to walk in a manner worthy of the lord fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of god not all parts of scripture are equal some are easier some are harder Uh, the scripture talks about the milk of the word and the meat of the word when we're babes in christ we It's like a, a newborn baby. He's not going to e- eat a piece of steak. Can't do it. Not possible. He needs milk, and we need milk until we grow and are sus- more sustained and more able, and then we can eat, other, we can digest meat. We need that, and we need to grow in our understanding by this process. Uh, you may have heard of the great uh, English scholar and preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He uh, really got into the Word of God. He spent something like 12 years preaching through the Book of Romans, which led another pastor, teacher, Stephen Olford, to say, Lloyd-Jones gave you not only the milk of the Word and the meat of the Word, but the gristle as well. We need the meat of the Word. We need the milk of the Word, depending on where we're at in our ability uh, to grow in the Word. And as we grow, we need to realize that obedience gives us insight. I was talking about that a moment ago. Obeying Christ gives us a greater knowledge of Jesus. We know Him better when we're serving Him. He says in John 15, you are my friends if you do what i command now think about it they could be disciples they could be followers but friendship with jesus that goes way beyond being a student of jesus that implies a closeness and an intimacy with jesus that is to be valued for sure the question is are we friends of jesus and I dearly want to be. And it tells me Jesus tells me if I you I am his friend if I do what he commands. And the interesting thing right before he said that, you know what the last command that he was that he gave to his disciples? He said love one another as I have loved you. Love one another. If we are loving one another then <laughs> we are growing in the knowledge and in intimacy with Jesus. Now, it's easy to love lovable people, lovely people. We like to be around them. But it's those angry folks that are such a problem. But we need to love them. We may disagree with them. We may not like what they're doing or saying, but we need to love them. Love one another, says Jesus if you want to have a growing life and be living in a manner that's worthy of your calling. And then the next next element of living a, uh, a life that's worthy of Christ is to have a powerful walk. You need to be having a powerful walk. Verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy now i don't know what you think of when you think of power you might think of a fast race car you might think of a well i got my light bill the other day it made me sad (laughs) that's a power bill but that's not of course what's being talked about here People love, Christians have loved over the years to talk about power. And there are books about power and how to be a powerful force, a for, force to be reckoned with. There's a book titled Power Evangelism, and there's uh, writings about power encounters and power growth and power through fasting and power to be able to perform signs and wonders. I started thinking about this so I went to Amazon and I put Christian books, nonfiction, with the word power. Power, in the title, I thought I bet I get a hundred. I got thirty thousand hits. Now they're not all different books. It might be, you know, paper and hardback. I don't know. But the point is, there's a lot of interest in power. And here it says, the Apostle Paul wants us to have power in our lives. But here's the thing, power for what purpose and to what end? Paul says that you may have great endurance and patience. Now, endurance, I think of difficult things, and patience, it could be things, but I also think about difficult people. And we should have power to be able to endure and have patience in both of those areas. Now, what do you do when you're confronted with difficulty? How do you pray? I'll tell you how I pray. Lord, take this away. (laughs) I don't like this. Get rid of it. And very seldom, off the top, do I pray, Lord, this is difficult. Give me power to hunker down and endure this difficult situation. And Paul wants us to have that kind of power in our lives that we might go through difficulty. And have power to endure here's what I think about I've lived for a number of years in the state of Florida on both coasts and uh, Debbie and I have been through some hurricanes Uh, we had on on our house where we lived in Florida um, metal shutters that we put up when a hurricane was on the nice thing about hurricanes they announced they're coming and so we put the shutters up they bolted to over all the windows over the the patio glass patio sliding door so all of the windows were covered with sheet metal bolted to the block walls. And so when the hurricane came and the rain came down and the winds howled, we were inside, we were safe, and we were dry. Of course, then the electric- electricity would go out and we would be in the dark and we would be hot. It's Florida, remember. But we were safe. And it was only going to last two or three days. We knew we could do it because our house would carry us through. Now, the analogy is when you're in a difficult situation, it might last for more, way more than two or three days, but you are safe in Christ and he will keep you and he will guard you and the power of God will be with you to help you endure. Now... Uh, what happens when it's people that are difficult in our lives and we have to be patient with them? I think this is harder than, than bolting on the uh, sheet metal onto the sides of the house over the windows. Uh, but you were using your imagination. I'm going to call on you one more time. Use your imagination that you're along with the disciples. They're in the boat in the storm on the Sea of Galilee, the boat is rocking, it's back and forth, and uh, there's no Dramamine to take, and uh, it's raining, it's wet, the waves are coming over, and even though you're there with experienced fishermen on this body of water, they're afraid that the, the boat might go down and your life would be lost. And here comes Jesus walking on the water and there's Peter. And I have to tell you, in my imagination, may not be that sanctified. I, I don't like Peter. I I would be sitting there in the back of the boat, shivering out of fear and cold, and thinking, Peter, you big show off. You gotta climb out of the boat. It, it, Jesus could help us, but you're slowing him down because you gotta show off. Come on, Peter. And then later on he pipes up who do you say i am Uh, that that portion of scripture some are saying elijah and some are saying prophets and peter pipes up and says thou art the christ the son of the living god and i would be sitting there back at the back of the class and i'd be thinking you're just a big know-it-all peter i was having trouble with peter in my imagination Uh, and then he gets to go up on the mount of transfiguration and I don't. And I'm thinking, I'm jealous now of Peter. And then later, at the end of Jesus' life, or near the end of his life, the trial's going on, and Peter's outside kind of huddle up around a fire for warmth. And he denies the Lord three times. And it wasn't a Roman soldier with a sword by his neck. It was a little girl. And he's petrified. No, I never knew him. We didn't know Don't know him. And it was wrong. And Peter knew it. And he wept bitter tears over his failure. But Jesus, Jesus was so patient. He was so patient with Peter. And after the resurrection, he comes and says, Peter, I want you to feed my lambs. I want you to be a part of this. And then here's Peter on the day of Pentecost. And he preaches a sermon. Quite an altar call. 3,000 people came to faith in Christ. And it was all because Jesus showed patience with what I think was probably a difficult person. And look at all that Peter accomplished. We need to be patient with difficult people. When they're showing off, when they get things wrong, when they blatantly sin, denying Jesus. I've done a lot of bad stuff, but so far, thank God I haven't done that. And Peter turns out eh, pretty good, wouldn't you think? Thank God there's power to endure and to be patient with one another let's do that well we're talking about how to maintain a worthy walk and we come to the last thing and that is a thankful walk giving thanks to the father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins wow fantastic. But it is a thankful walk. That's the most important thing to grasp here. And Thanksgiving is not a normal response, uh, just a thing that we do without thinking. Uh, think about it when you're a child. Have you ever had to be reminded or remind your a child of yours to be, say thank you to someone? Yeah, the, a little boy gets a present uh, from Aunt Matilda and he's hoping for a race car or a football, and he gets a homemade knitted sweater, or, or excuse me, scarf. And and your mother says, come over here, bring it over here. And she takes this long, bulky thing, and it, she's gotta wrap it around your neck three times so it doesn't drag on the floor. And then she says, go tell your Aunt Matilda that you're thankful. And your eyes are, you were thinking about a football, anything, a toy, I don't And thank you, Aunt Matilda, I've always wanted one of these, but not very much. (laughs) It can get much more serious than that. There's a story that I read. Excuse me. It was September 8, 1860. The Lady Elgin was a ship with over 300 uh, passengers aboard. It ran into another ship and it floundered and sunk in lake michigan off the north shore of chicago over 300 people lost their lives but there by the shore was a young ministerial student edward spencer who was uh, he was a student uh, to go into the ministry and he saw what happened and he was an excellent swimmer he swam out and he and he found someone that was going down floundering in the water he swam swam back with them to safety. And there was another and another and another. He ended up bringing 17 people back to the shore. And because of the coldness of the water and the rocks that he was being thrown into by the waves, he was totally exhausted and wanted to go out again, but he just couldn't. He had nothing left. Later at his funeral, his brother will was talking about what he had done on that occasion and he added although edward never said a word about it never complained but of those 17 people not one of them came back to thank him for saving their lives we have something much more important to give thanks for we have been given a heavenly inheritance. Uh, we have been given a rescue from the dominion of darkness, the forgiveness of sin. We have been given so many things by the grace of God. We must be thankful, or we, surely we must. But it's not—it's not our natural tendency. So Paul prays for the people that they be thankful. And I think we need to be praying for one another that we'd be thankful for all that he has given us. We're talking about salvation. We're talking about the gospel, the difference between heaven and hell. God has been so good, so gracious to us and done so much that our hearts should be exploding with gratitude. Let's close with prayer. Father, I do pray that you would make us more thankful. Make us more prayerful. Give us a greater deepening knowledge of Jesus. And may our conduct be conduct that's worthy of his name. We don't do this out of our own goodness, but only by the power of the Holy Spirit. So be active in us, giving us the power to do that. And as we partake of the wonderful blessing of forgiveness and knowing that we are secure in Christ and that we have a heavenly inheritance. Give us ever-increasing desire to be thankful. And Lord, I pray, like the Apostle Paul, we might pray for one another, pray for the church, both collectively and individually, that we might give honor to your name.